Amen. Let's open our Bibles <laughs> to the book of Galatians chapter 2, um, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. We thank you tonight uh, for coming to our midweek service, for your faithfulness um, to the service here tonight. You know, a lot of the um, the church world has has given up on midweek services. Um, they've given up on the midweek service. They've given up even on the Sunday night service. Um, but we, um, one of the DNAs, or one of the marks of who we are um, as a fellowship is we love to be together as the people of God. Amen? Um, we love to gather. Um, we love to hear the word of God. We're a preaching fellowship. Um, we develop preachers. And it's interesting because seminary is not somewhere where we send our men, but we have some of the best preachers in the world in our fellowship. Um, and it's because the character is developed. And the heart for God is developed. And I believe that's what translates in the sermon anyway, um, is that heart for God. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. How many of you guys have gone to the circus before? Some of you guys are like, I just got out of the circus. <laughs> in circus, one of the things, or in a circus, and one of, one of the things you will notice, at least in my generation, I think they did away with it now, are elephants. Some of you guys went to a circus with elephants. Elephants were used for entertainment. If you've been to the circus many times, you will see these, these huge animals. And you see them being held hostage. You might have heard this illustration before, or even seen the picture of it. You've seen these huge bees held hostage by a little chain around their ankles connected to a post that's in the ground. And you can't help but to just look at them and say, you can get out of that. If you, you, you have the power, you have the strength, you could just simply swipe and either break the chain or pull the post. But see, circus elephants don't do that. Because when they were baby elephants, their master, the trainer, taught them that when they felt the chain, that they were supposed to submit. So they're trained from a baby that when they felt the chain, this is what you did. You submitted and you didn't move. You didn't go anywhere else. So the baby elephant never had an opportunity to understand its power. And in a sense, even understand who they actually were, their identity. So circus elephants are good for entertainment only. Because in the early days, their identity was ripped from them. You know, I believe a lot of us here tonight, we have been held hostage. And like these elephants, many times our identity has been stolen or um, even defined by the wrong thing, defined by the world. See, we come to church and we hear about all this power. Some of you, most of you guys were here Sunday nights and we saw miracles. We saw people get healed, amen? We saw people get filled with the Holy Ghost. So we hear this power. We hear the, the power of God and we use words like supernatural. But many times there's Christians in church with a little odd chain that holds them down. We wonder what's wrong. How can we be such powerful beings and being held hostage by any little thing that shows up? I wonder here tonight. Tell me if you guys... You've read the book, Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. It's an incredible book. I want to encourage you to read it. Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. 
And it's, it, it paints a picture of what the demonic, uh, how the demonic sees us, or at least in a very vivid way. I wonder if hell, every once in a while, he'll step into the church and he sees a bunch of spiritual elephants being tied out by little chains. And he walks in here and you can't help but just to chuckle and say, if only you knew who you were. If only you just had a revelation of who your God was, you wouldn't be tied down like you are. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul speaks here. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I, say with me, I. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you. Yeah, you thought I was going to say I, huh? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to preach a sermon that I've entitled, No Longer I. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Jesus, for this moment you've given us. Father, to be your church, your people, your congregation. Father, I hide behind your cross. I do not come in my own talents, my own abilities, Father, but I pray an anointing upon my words. God, I pray you will bless this messenger here tonight, God, that you will tailor make this sermon to every single person in this place, God. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. No longer. I want to start off with my first thought, and that is defined by the world. When we come to Christ, we come defined by the world. Everything we know, everything we think, what we think about ourselves, what we think about humanity, where every area of our life is defined by our experience in the world. See, in our text, Paul mentions, it is not I who live anymore. This went beyond just the name Paul. This went beyond just, just a, a person or a personality. This I isn't just referring to Paul, but a formed identity. An identity that was defined already many times by other sources than God. See, when we come to God, we come with a formed identity, formed by the world. The absence of God has defined us many times. Absence in general has defined the whole generation. You can speak about an absence of fathers. You can speak about the absence of even mothers. Maybe they're there, but they're not. There are now multiple generations who their identity revolves around rejection. From parents who have disowned them, parents who decided to leave, we can speak about the generation of cyberbullying, which is it was easy. Remember when it was easy to make friends? When you just moved schools and the, and the thing you struggled with was, am I going to make friends there? And, and your parents will tell you it's going to be fine. And you move into, into the new school and in less than a week you got new friends. But now we're living in a time of rejection. Again, bad parenting, present but not present, absent. Immorality has defined generations. You're beginning to see promiscuity now reach new highs. Begins to affect even different, different uh, um, people that you never thought will 
will will be affected by its immorality. See, we have lived our whole life through the lens of I. In other words, we have lived our lives based on what the world has said about us. We have lived performance-based lives, allowing success to define who we are. No doubt social media has had a huge effect on this. You want to uh, portray a certain image to the crowd, your followers, for the likes, for the, so family can see that who, who, uh, what, what you're actually trying to portray. But in all reality, there's something else that's happening in life. See, social media is all highlights. It's all highlights. It's a performance-based life. We see now in our generation, virtue signaling. This phrase, virtue signaling, by definition, is the action or practice of publicly expressing opinions or sentiments intended to demonstrate one's good character or the moral correctness of one's position on a particular issue. In other words, you're just expressing things because you want an approval of somebody else. Not necessarily that you believe it. But you know this is this is what the crowd wants. It wants. Can somebody say target? <laughs> that you just, all of a sudden now in the month of June, everybody approves of this. It's interesting, you can go down the list of social media accounts and all the companies, their logos now, they have rainbow colors. IBM, which is a computer company, has a rainbow color logo. Nike, and you can go down the list, and it's almost like you didn't think about them the whole year. See, when you, or when your identity is defined by something other than God, you will always find yourself frustrated. Because you're trying to live for the approvals of man. There are several scenarios that I believe have corrupted people's identities. One of them being the absence of parents because of the absence of parents. Now the world has defined crucial areas for many people. I've said this before. Parents, you have a responsibility to define things for your children. That if you're not the first one to define it for them, somebody else will. Somebody will define sexuality for them. Somebody will define what relationships mean to them, their image, their speech their character, their marriage. Can I just say this here tonight? This isn't in my notes. But even as Christian parents, can I tell you, your children should do better than you. Your children should go on. They should speak better than you. They should be readers. I know maybe we weren't, but they should be. They should go on to lead and have better jobs and make more money and do greater things for God. But that's only going to happen if we're able to define things for them. Define what marriage actually is. Define what a character and integrity mean, or what it means to society. Even our perspective of God has been skewed by what has defined us. Martin Luther said this. He said, you should not believe your conscience and your feelings more than the word which the Lord who receives sinners preaches to you. In other words, you trust the word of God more than what you feel. Can I get one Christian to say amen to that? You know, you ever, you, ever, you ever been there? You read the word of God and now you know you got to obey something, but you have no peace over it. You're just like, I don't, I don't feel good about this, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do it. Listen, my wife and I, in the, in the course of one week, 
I think it was from Saturday. Saturday, I quit my job. Next Saturday, we were on a plane to Honduras. I didn't feel good. <laughs> I had no clue. You can Google Honduras right now, and all you get is a bunch of gang members with face tattoos and, and murders, and that's exactly what I got. You think I had peace? But many times, it's the Word of God that prevails over what you feel. But see, when your identity is correct, whenever you know who you are, then it doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter what other people are saying. When you're confident of who your God is, it doesn't matter what the world says, what social media says, what other people say, but you know that it is God, the one that defines you. So I want you to take that thought and now take Galatians 2.20. When he says, I've been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I. In other words, he's saying everything that I knew about myself before I came no longer me. Say with me, everything. This means the way you think, the way you speak, your decision making. And many times we come, even our clothes change. I'll move on to my second thought, and that is deconstruction. Tearing down what we have built without God. Our text, no doubt, and throughout the Bible, we know that we are to be born again to inherit the kingdom of God. This idea of being a born again, oh, being born again, it's not this, it's not this um, mystical experience. I know it can get emotional. I know you might have answered an altar call and you came and you, uh, I mean, and you cried and mascara was everywhere and, you know, the, the whole thing, right? And in a sense, it can be very emotional. But in all reality, being born again has to do with losing yourself. The person that you bring into the, to the church is not the one that, that goes out. See, an incorrect way to view God is that God makes us better. And I know that sounds kind of funny. Makes us better. That sounds good. But in all reality, can I tell you, Jesus wasn't your upgrade. It's not like you came in and you were the base model and you left this place and now you're a luxury package. He wasn't an upgrade for us. He was our salvation. Do you understand here tonight, you were going to spend eternity in hell without Jesus. We cannot live without him. Ravi Zacharias, which is probably not the best example to use, but we'll use him tonight. Christ didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. See, Paul makes it clear to the Galatians that this is more than just a better life. Can I tell you, listen, if you come to church, if you listen to the word of God, and all you get is a better life or a better you, then you've missed it. I don't need a better me. I need me to leave. <laughs> when I got saved, I needed me to die. Because me is what got me in trouble. Is that a tongue twister? That should be on a t-shirt, right? Me got me in trouble. I, I, I didn't need Jesus to come and just fix my speech. It, was, it wasn't an issue with, with any... It, it was a very plain thing. I was dying. In my sin, 
I was going the same path my father, my uncles did, addicted to alcohol, promiscuity. You can go on and on and fit it to, to make it fit your life. But listen, the truth is that we didn't come because we needed an upgrade. We came because we needed a new life. Galatians chapter 2, verses 17 through 20 says, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. I wonder here tonight if verse 18 applies to some people. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Verse 19, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. He's talking about his flesh life, his carnal life right now. He's not speaking about the spiritual place. He's not speaking about eternity. He says, for the life I now live in the flesh right now, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen, take note that he's speaking to the church. He's preaching to the choir. Some Christians have falsely built an identity on things that they've heard from man versus what God says. It shouldn't matter what era we live in, God doesn't change. The thought of Christianity is you die to yourself. You should be different. And that's the frustrating part. Is that you can be 10 years, 20 years down the road. And you're looking at yourself and you're like, I've changed this much. (laughs) I still got things that I'm dealing with. And listen, it's one thing to be able to understand that. That you're a product of your upbringing. You know, there's times, uh, there's times where I look at myself and I see my dad. Uh, or there's times where I'm, I'm speaking to my wife and maybe in some type of heated moment where there's an argument and I can hear the arguments my parents had. I can hear it in my voice. I can, and many times I, I begin to think, I, I, don't, I don't want to be like that. See, if you're not careful, you're justified ways. That you'll be, you'll justify things that should be gone. You hear things like, I'm old school. I'll leave that for the new people. It shouldn't matter. We should be different. It is Christ that makes us new. Not a set of rules, not a set of standards, not religion, but it is Christ. Listen, when I came, I was 18 years old and I got saved. I had a man tell me, most, a lot of you guys know his name is Pedro. He told me, and he gave me a, a powerful word. He said, listen, I'm not going to change you. He said, Pastor Vass isn't going to change you. He said, this church isn't going to change you. What's going to change you is the power of God. And I understood that what needed to change in me was simply what God wanted out of me. So my identity now became my faith in God. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 56 and 57. He says, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that the law gave sin power. And that's a whole different sermon. But Christ gives us the victory over sin. Nothing else. So our responsibility 
is to deconstruct that that's left over after salvation. Can, can we get real here tonight? How many of you guys remember when you got saved, you thought your, all your problems were going to be fixed? <laughs> you can't, you can't, well, I don't know, I was 18 years old, so I was very naive and gullible, okay? So I came, I came to an altar, and I wasn't married. That, that's, that's a different dynamic, okay? <laughs> but I came, and I, and I got saved, and I got up, and I remember feeling good. I mean, because you felt good when you got saved. Weight was removed, and you, and you knew you had an answer now, and now you have a purpose, and you feel the love and the grace, and then people are all over you, and they're inviting you to dinner, and then, you know, you know how I was when you first got saved. You're like, oh man, this is, this is amazing. But then I still had to go home. <laughs> Service was going to end at some point. They were going to drop me off at some point. I still needed to go home, and I still needed to deal with myself. doesn't change and it will never stop into the day of this pearly gate. The day until Jesus comes back and he raptures us or we die and we step into eternity until our, our life in the flesh is over. You will always have to deal with your old self trying to creep back in. This is a deconstruction project over our life. So we come here and we have to think about things that we have left over after salvation. For some of us, we were saved from drugs and alcohol, but we have an attitude problem. For some people, it's pride. For some people, you came, listen, you, you used to drink every day, all night, and now you don't. You're set free, but there's, there's, there's some lying that's still happening. There's some pride that's still happening. You were set free from promiscuity, but like we said Sunday morning, lust is a visitor, so it comes back. Now you got to deal with that. The problem is many times what we should destroy, we want to remodel. We want to give it a new face. We just want to hide it from certain people. Listen, our life is a full-blown demoing. A laying of a new foundation to deconstruct, we need to kill our previous I. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. The idea of crucifixion means you die. This is the ultimate picture of surrendering who you are for God's will to be done through you. In other words, you got on that cross with Jesus. See, when you got saved, it wasn't just, again, an upgrade, but it was you looking at Jesus and saying, I want to die the same death that you died. I want to die to myself and let my Father's will be done in my life. The mistake many of us make is we try to live out our life while only allowing God to come along with us. It's almost like if you drove by the church and you said, Jesus, you're riding shotgun. <laughs> Listen, it's not, it's not Jesus getting in the passenger seat. It's you getting out of the car and getting somewhere, get, get in the back. <laughs> Let Jesus run this thing. It's unhealthy for us to view God as just an assist in our life. To think that he just came and just made some things better. 
I'm going to close on my third point, and that is living by faith. The goal of our life is to come to a place where it's Christ living in us. He said, it is no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. So naturally, your question, your question should be, how do I get Christ to live in me? How do I die to I and get Christ to live in me? Not a new I, not a better I, but not me at all, but Christ in me. Paul often spoke of Christ taking up residence in the hearts of those who accept him as Lord and Savior. When he prayed for the believers in Ephesus, Paul longed for their faith to deepen so that Christ will be at home in their hearts. Ephesians 3.16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. He says, this should be you. This should be so deep in you. So what does Christ living in us even look like? I want to read this illustration, this article I ran into. My name is Robert Munger. He said, Robert Munger imaginatively describes the Christian life as a house. Which you've heard that before. When Jesus enters, he goes from room to room. In the library of our minds, Christ sorts through the garbage, cleaning out the worthless trash. In the kitchen, he deals with our unhealthy appetites and sinful desires. At the dining room table, he serves us the bread of life to satisfy our hungry souls and pour and, uh, and pours living water for us to drink and never be thirsty again. Through dark hallways and closets, Jesus uncovers all the places where sin hides, because sin hides. Amen? He works his way through every nook, every cranny, until his, uh, his love, mercy, forgiveness, and grace have filled every space. I believe, listen, I think this is a beautiful picture of what it means for Christ to live in us. See, our old self, full of rebellion, full of sin, full of unbelief, dies with Christ. We're made new with the Spirit of God living in us because of what Jesus did on the cross. I wonder here tonight if you can say Christ lives in you. The further question is, I wonder if other people can say that about you. J.B. Phillips, in a book called Letters to Young Churches, said this. He says, the great difference between present-day Christianity and that of which we read in, the, in these letters is that to us, it is primarily a performance. But to them, it was a real experience. To these men, it is quite plainly the invasion of their Lives by a new quality of life together, they do not hesitate to describe this as Christ living in them. It's more than just performance. It's more than just trying to look good in front of people. But ask yourself, have you died? Has your I, your identity, who you were before Christ died? See, living by faith is living by God's word. Faith without works is dead. Works 
means in obedience to his word. So no longer I means no longer what the world says. No longer what I did in the past. It doesn't matter if you liked it or not. It is no longer I. But you know what else that means? That means your mistakes don't define you. That means the lines you've crossed and you've said what you've done doesn't define you anymore. Isn't that the blessing of living for God? That repentance fixes everything. No longer define you. Your money doesn't define you anymore. Your money now becomes just a tool that God can use. What others say about you don't define you anymore. See, what defines us and what moves us forward is the word of God. So the question is now, is what does God say about you? What does God say about you? And what he does say about you, that's what your decisions are filtered through. Your decisions should be filtered through who, what God says about you. I want to read our text one more time. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Listen, your life right now is the opportunity that you have to live for God. To go on and fulfill the Great Commission. To go on and tell your, 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 your friends, your family, tell them how much Jesus loves them. That as you preach the words of God, who you are backs that up. It's no longer I. My challenge for you tonight is that you will look at yourself and you'll begin to analyze, is there some of my old man still in there? Is there things that I need to change? Is there things that I need to let go of? Is there things that have maybe creeped back up? Things that maybe we broke down, but we decided to rebuild. The challenge tonight is, sim is a simple challenge. is die to yourself and allow Christ to live in you. It's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. Can I get every head bowed and every eye closed? Oh, the potential, the destiny here tonight. If you only said, I no longer want to live my life. I want you, God, to live in me. They would die to yourself. Listen, living for God is such a blessing, is such an, an amazing experience to be able to see and feel everything that God wants to do in our lives. Can I just press the altar call here tonight by telling you, you don't have to live the way that you're living. Maybe you're here tonight, you're depressed. Maybe you live a life with mental health issues, depression, anxiety. Maybe it's some type of addiction. You're addicted to drugs, addicted to pornography, alcohol. Maybe it's promiscuity in our Bible. There's a story of a woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. Jesus is helping her and she 
the detail that's given about her is that she goes from husband to husband and no doubt all you can think is here it is a woman trying to find love she's trying to satisfy herself and she's at a place where every else is they're just trying to be happy in life and you hear that so so much i just want to be happy listen this world isn't going to give you what you think is going to satisfy you this world isn't going to be able to satisfy your life only jesus satisfies you're here tonight you're not saved you're not right with god and you understand you know what my life has been a mess i, I need I, i need god in my life that's you would you raise your hand i want to pray for you God's dealing with you. I see that hand and on his heart. Maybe you're backslidden a person who used to be right with God. This word backslider we use it to refer to people who at one point was I see that hand and on his heart. At one point they were serving God but today they're far from him. At one point you had a deep relationship with Christ. But today you're far from him. Listen, don't fool yourself. To, don't lie to yourself. Life is way too short. For you to walk out of this place playing games with eternity. Backslider come home. Jesus loves you. Quickly, you're not saved, you're not right. I see that hand. Sorry, God's dealing with you. You're backsliding. Raise your hand one more time. Not saved, backsliding. Raise your hand. I want to pray for you. See those hands. Amen. Very well. I see that hand and on his heart. Amen. Praise God. We need four altar workers here today. If you let's let's keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight. If you raise your hand, I want you to look up at me tonight. Did you mean that? Did you mean that? I believe you did. Did you mean that? I believe you did. Did you mean that? Yeah. I believe you did. I want you to come forward here tonight. We're just we're not going to put you on the mic. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to make you say anything. We're just simply going to lead you into a prayer. Um we're going to have some altar workers that are going to lead you. I'm here tonight. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I want to change the order of the service. I want to speak to Christians. I want to speak to the church here tonight. You know, this is a challenge not only for those that are to get saved, but but to the church here it is Paul he's speaking to the Galatians this was a church in a certain region in a certain city and he's telling them this truth i have been crucified with christ it is no longer i who live listen don't pursue your own dreams don't pursue your own vanity your own all of these different desires and things listen let god help you die to yourself There is no better place than to be in the will of God. Analyze your life. Think about it. Have I allowed myself Have I allowed myself to come back up and get in the way of God? Let's all stand up to our feet. Let's all stand up to our feet here tonight. We're going to open up these altars. If you can come forward, listen, get a hold of God. 
Listen, one of the wonderful things here tonight is that we can come and we can speak to the living God. This isn't religion. This is beyond just what well, just emotional. Listen, it's the thought is you're speaking to God himself. God wants to help you, but you're going to have to die to yourself. Not allow anything to get in the way. Hallelujah. It's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. Let's sing out the song tonight.